Hill City Church. My name's Michael, and I'd like to pray with you before we begin looking at Scripture today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we know that whenever we're gathered together, even if we're not in the same physical space, you are with us. And so we thank you for your presence, for your love, for your mercy, and for all the ways that you challenge us to be more and more the people that you have created us to be, the ways in which you challenge us to follow you more closely as you show us what it's like to really be human the way that God intends. So give us ears to hear the words that you may want to say to us through your word this morning and help us to have open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stories. We've been talking about stories at Mill City Church the last few Sundays. Stories have tremendous power to shape our lives, don't they? Human beings were made for stories. We've been telling stories for thousands of years. It's one of the ways in which we make meaning out of our lives, by sitting around and sharing stories of things that happened to us, things we've learned, things we've experienced to help us share who we are and what we love and what we care about. They, these stories, they move us to action in ways that we otherwise wouldn't be moved. I want you to think for just a second, whenever you're together with your family or your friends, whether that's virtually or in person, think of one or two stories that you know either you retell or other people retell when you're with them. And some of them you might think, man, I can't wait until Uncle Joe retells that story. And others of you might go, I cannot stand it when they retell that story over and over and over again. One of the stories that came to my own mind was the story that I retell with my high school friends, Joe and Charlie, about how the three of us, when we were 18, decided to drive to Colorado and hike up a 14,000-foot peak called Long's Peak, even though we had zero hiking experience and no hiking gear and that we argued about whether or not we really needed two full Nalgene bottles to do a 12-hour hike up a 14,000-foot uh, cliff for 12, yeah, for half of a day. And then do we really need all of these Twinkies to carry up the mountain to really sustain us on the way there? It's a story that we retell about the bond of our friendship and the stupidity of 18-year-old males. And so I don't know if you have stories like that that you remember that you love to tell that bring meaning and purpose to your lives, but I imagine that you do. Movies are also another way that we retell these stories or that we enter into new stories. Or maybe you have a book that you're reading right now that's just telling a great story. We watch movies and we read books and we enter into these stories, the characters' lives. We feel their emotions. We join their circumstances. And uh, more and more, we're continuing to engage in stories in this way. My kids and my wife and I, we all watched this great movie recently that I recommend to you called The Queen of Katwa. It's about this young girl named Fiona who grew up in a small town in Uganda. And the story is about an out a Christian outreach ministry that's happening in this town that helps Fiona learn how to play chess along with a whole bunch of other kids in her, in her town. And it turns out Fiona is a chess genius and even though no one has taught her to read yet in her young life, she can think two, three, four, seven, eight steps ahead in, the, in a game of chess and ends up becoming a, a national champion, an international chess, chess master as part of the story. And so we're watching this movie, and my kids have never been to Uganda. I've never been to Uganda, even though I have friends from there. And you've, but you feel like you get a sense of what it would be like to live there and what it would be like to grow up the way that Fiona grew up and the kinds of opportunities that were available to her or not available to her. 
And then our family is moved to some actions that we wouldn't have been moved to had we not watched the movie. We're thinking about uh, how can we understand better what it's like to live in a place like this town of Katwa? What, what, how can we maybe even be part of pr providing more opportunities for people in places like that? And even more importantly for us in the moment at our house, like how can we play more chess? And so there's been a lot of chess playing going on. So we were moved by a story that we had no awareness of before we watched the movie. You get the point. We all have these stories, and the stories move us. They shape us. They help us see ourselves. They help us see the world around us, and they cause us to take actions that we otherwise wouldn't take. So my question for you this morning as we think about the big God story of all of Scripture is what particular stories or narratives are influencing your life most today? And what stories or narratives do you wish were influencing your life more than they are at the moment? We've all lived through some tough circumstances in the last year, and that story is dominating a lot of our lives day to day. But what stories does God really want us to live into as we look forward to 2021? So we're going to begin by re-looking at the big God story as a whole, which Pastor Stephanie outlined for us in these kind of four moves. Creation, disruption, redemption, and restoration. These three movements of the whole story of Scripture. The Bible Project is a website and an organization that creates videos to help us understand some of these concepts from Scripture. And there's a, a, Bible, a, a video called The Story of the Bible you can find on their website, bibleproject.com. And I want to show you just the first part of it, but I encourage you to watch the whole thing as you have time this week. But here's the beginning that sort of catches us up to where we're at in our discussion of the big God story. So let's look at that now. The Bible is an important book, but it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is... How? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge, and as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately, a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so, God scatters this corrupted human project. And so we're picking up this story here. Uh, where the humans, the original humans, have to make a decision about what story they're going to believe. God has given them a story of creation where God created them in God's image and placed them in this perfect place where they have work to do and meaning to make. And then along comes an evil figure, symbolized as in the serpent, who tells a different story. 
And that alternative story suggests God is actually trying to hold you down. God is preventing you from becoming just as powerful as God. You should ignore that story that God is telling you and believe this story, the one that will allow you to know what really is good and what really is evil and it will make you just as powerful as God is. And so from our very beginning, we've had to make decisions about what stories we were going to believe. And those stories have deeply shaped our experience of being human in this world. Here's how the serpent tries to tempt Adam and Eve with its own story in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The trouble with these alternative stories is that they're so compelling. They sound true. And for the original humans, they were tempted, they were caught up by this idea that, yeah, maybe, Maybe we can be just like God. I think we're battling these alternative stories all the time. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to tell you a series of what I call disruption stories that have disrupted our relationship with God for centuries and thousands of years. My big idea for this sermon is that disruption happens whenever we trade God's story for another story. One of the ways to define sin is just to say that we've rejected God's vision and view and story for our life so that we can try to write our own story and do our own thing and be our own gods. And that happens over and over and over again, not only in the Bible, but in human history. So let's look at Jesus' time for a second and see if we can see some of the ways these disruption stories were causing problems in his day. The religious leaders of Jesus' time had bought into a series of stories that went something like this. This is just my, my summary of them. The nation of Israel is God's chosen people, which was true. God wanted Israel to be the most powerful nation in the world so that we can make God's laws the laws that everyone follows. And the religious leaders thought it's our job to make sure that people are clear about God's laws and that they are followed by everyone. Well, that wasn't true. That wasn't God's role for the religious leaders or for the nation of Israel. But they were working very, very hard to try to keep people in who agreed with them and keep people out who didn't agree with them. And then Jesus comes along and he's telling a completely different story. And here's an example of how he counters the story that they're living out in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, now you've heard it said, right? Like here's, here's the, the story I've heard you all talking about. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, like a different story Jesus wants to tell, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
If you love those who love you, now listen really carefully to these words of Jesus. I think they're super important for us right now, January 2021. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is challenging these religious leaders of this time and saying to them in 21st century language, if you only love the people in your own group, you're not like God. If you only love the people who love you, how does that make you any better than anybody else that you disagree with or hate or consider enemies? The alternative story that Jesus says he's telling is, no, if you want to be like God, if you want to be made perfect in the image of God, then you have to love your enemies. Then you have to pray for the people who persecute you, who you disagree with. You can't threaten and exclude them. You have to love them the way that Jesus loves them and gives his life up even for those who are literally killing him on the cross. There are so many of these other disruption stories that Jesus had to deal with. There's a disruption story that said that Rome was the power, the most important power in the whole world. And Caesar, the leader of Rome, was not only a king, but a god to be worshipped. And Jesus said, that's, that's a disruption story. The real story is there's only one god, and that god has all the power. And if you think you have any power over god, you're kidding yourself. There was a disruption story among the religious leaders that said... We, that the um, Israelite community should exclude people who are considered sinners or unclean in some way. And Jesus got into all kinds of trouble because he would go and eat with the very people that they said shouldn't even be talked to. And they would criticize him and say, you obviously don't know God or you wouldn't be hanging out with these people. And Jesus says, you just don't get it. These are the exact people that the God of the universe wants to include in the kingdom of God. You're living out this weird purity, obedience, law story, and I'm living out God's grace and mercy through God's love and sacrifice story. You are not living into the story that God has for you. There was another disruption story that said that salvation, like true, whole relationship with God, you know, complete restoration to relationship with God, salvation came through full obedience to every piece of the law. And Jesus said, it actually isn't obedience to the law that makes you right with God, but God's love and mercy and sacrifice, that God decided to love you even though you can't obey the law. And out of that love, you can become a whole person fully restored to God. So Jesus spent most of his time identifying these disruption stories, stories people were believing and living out that didn't lead them into God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and tried to help people to see the story that God wanted them to be living out. Now, there are lots of disruption stories in our own time, not just in biblical times, and I'm going to highlight two with the time I have left. One is the story of slavery and racism, especially as we get uh, ready to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day tomorrow. I want us to think a little bit more about this particular story that's still having a great impact on us. Sometime in the 1600s, a few people who had authority and power in certain places started telling a story 
that suggested that people with darker, non-white skin were not as human as people with whiter skin, or not as valuable as people with whiter skin. This is a story that has taken shape and root over hundreds of years as more and more people have believed it. The story has taken many forms. In the United States, it's taken form of a system of slavery, segregation, to Jim Crow laws, to mass incarceration, and the story continues to live on among us today. The basic story that certain racial categories are better or more advanced than other racial categories continues to shape our lives together in powerful ways. God's story of creation, that Pastor Stephanie talked about last week, and the people were created in the image of God, directly contradicts the story that any person has more worth based on their race, that we have created that category of race, or their skin color. Now, the biggest problem with this story, in my opinion, just my opinion, is that many of us don't know that we're living into the story. It's a sneaky story, particularly for those of us, like me, who are not often directly impacted by the story in a negative way. Beginning with the, uh, at the beginning of his I Have a Dream speech, which I encourage you to read over the next couple days. It's not that long. You can find it anywhere on the internet. Martin Luther King Jr. talks about how this particular story, this terrible racist story, has lived on into the 1960s of the United States. In the beginning of his speech, he says that despite being set free from slavery, people in the black community were still suffering from segregation, lack of voting rights, lack of economic opportunities, and lack of justice in the legal system, among other challenges. Dr. King begins the speech by trying to help his listeners see that we are still in this evil story. This is our struggle today, I think, when it comes to the conversation about race, is that we don't see, we don't all see, that the way that this simple story began 400 years ago is still impacting us. And we don't all see that even though progress has been made, there are still many ways that we're living out this same story that says that people of color are not as valuable or not as important as people with whiter skin. At its core, that's the issue. Now, this is not God's version of the story, right? Doesn't even feel like I should have to say that out loud. This is not the way that God created things to be. Can those of us who are followers of Jesus agree on just that one simple statement? I do think that would be progress. Can we agree that people having different values based on their skin color is not God's intention? That might be one starting place for us. Can we all agree that God did not create white people as inherently more valuable than people who don't have white skin? If we all agree that that is not God's story, then we begin, can begin to see how this alternative story has impacted our lives, and we can continue to follow God's leading in creating relationships and systems that honor the truth that every single person is created in God's image, regardless of the color of their skin. That was the foundation of Dr. King's dream speech that he articulated almost 60 years ago. So we need to come together, especially those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, to gather around God's story of human beings being created in God's image, and that everything that we do ought to offer the dignity and the respect that comes with having been created in the God of the universe's image.
Another disruption story that I want to highlight for you this morning that I think is really important is in the, the last part of the last century and for sure in the 21st century, were many of us being impacted by a story that I just called the you do you story. Some of you have heard this phrase, right? You do you. It's an encouragement, right? Be yourself. Be original. It's a story about the importance of being true to yourself, to living an authentic life, to be unique and to be original. You do you is one of the phrases we use to share this story with each other. And it says in its core that life is mostly about you, about your success, about your uniqueness, about your happiness. My friend Angela Gorell has written an awesome book on this topic that I encourage for you to look up. It's called Always On. It's a book about the social media age and where Jesus shows up in the social media age. And she has this kind of brief summary of what I call the you do you story. And here's how she says it. I'll put it on the screen for you. She says that the you do you story is about being true to yourself. It's about uh, doing whatever feels right to you, to, that you would do what you want to do, that you would live into those desires. And that happiness and pursuing happiness is one of the most important values in life. And the right way to live is completely determined by you. There's no wrong way to, to do you, right? To be yourself. Now, let me say extremely clearly that I completely disagree with this story. Here, put it back up on the screen for us. I completely disagree with this popular 21st century story, and I think God does too. There's an alternative story here that I've tried to articulate that I think counters this, this one that's impacting lots of us. And it says that God created you in God's image. You don't define yourself. God has already defined you. You need to be, you are invited to be true to that image that God has placed in you. You can begin with God's definition of who you are, and you can do what God invites you to do with your life. And in this way of thinking about uh, a story that shapes us, the right way to live is to be defined by God's love not by your own desires or your own pursuit of happiness. And so you have the freedom to choose to follow Jesus and live more into this identity that God's given to you, or just like Adam and Eve, reject that story and try to create your own story, your own truth, your own reality, really. And this same struggle that I think Adam and Eve are facing shows up for us in the 21st century in for sure these two ways in dealing with the story of, of slavery and race and also the story of this expressive individualism that so many of us are impacted by. Our value as human beings is not defined by us. It's defined by God. It's defined by what Jesus has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And it's defined by the spirit of God that's offered to us to live in us and help transform us to become more and more every day like the people that God created us to be. There are so many disruptive stories that tempt us to turn away from God's story. These stories deeply impact how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see and act in the world that we live in. These false stories, they disrupt our relationship with God, each other.